0: So um my my sister my so I have five younger sisters um and I'm the oldest and then I had these five sisters uh I was in therapy for a very long time because of those sisters it's all of them I was a great brother I just blessed them always um but my the, I heard some snickering okay but my the sister right below me she's about a year just a little over a year younger than me uh when she was like eight or nine years old, she was in kids' church, and she heard a person sharing about missions. And as a young kid, she heard that testimony about missions, and then when she was like eight or nine years old, she said, I want to do that. And so she went to college, um, graduated um, from North Central University, where Don and I met, this Bible university in Minneapolis, and she got a business degree, and then pretty much as soon as she got done, she went to the mission field. And so one of the places that she went was Israel. She, spent, she lived in Israel for a while. And my dad, when she was moving there, my dad was like, I'm going to go take her over there. I've always wanted to see the Holy Land. I want to visit all the sites that Jesus was in. And so my dad, my, my, my dad and my mom have a real heart for Israel. Um, I think our family's always just had this connection to wanting to see Jewish people come to know Jesus. And uh, so my dad bought these books. And he had all these books on, like, How to Win Jewish People to Jesus, okay? And uh, the thing about in in Israel, it's actually illegal to proselytize Jewish people, though, okay? So, like, you're not supposed to, like, go intentionally with just leading Jewish people to the Lord. So my dad, though, he packs his, you know, suitcase, and and he puts on the top of his, his suitcase two books, How to Win Jewish People to Jesus and then another one, which is like sharing the gospel with, with, with Jewish people. So he's going through customs in, in Israel and they open the book and, and the, there's this like soldier there. And he looks at the books and looks at my dad and looks at the books. And my dad's like, <laughs> you know, and and uh, so he takes, a, takes her there. And, and my sister ended up living actually in Bethlehem area for a, for a long time. And uh, so she spent a lot of time. Uh, working in the West Bank, um, essentially working with a lot of um, Palestinian Christians and then Palestinian Muslims there too and then just Jewish people. Um, she was there for a long time and so it's interesting talking to her and my brother-in-law who, who was there uh, just about the complexity of Israel. Okay, There's all these different com- complex issues and there's so much politics entangled in all of our thinking about the Holy Land um, because like one thing I think we oftentimes do uh, overlook about the Palestinian people, for instance, is that there are a lot of Christians that are that are Palestinian, and they're suffering right now too. And so it's like really, really a challenging topic for us to, to wrestle with at times. It shouldn't be, but it is. Um, and so we started a sermon series uh, two weeks ago. This is the third sermon. We've been doing this sermon series that we're kind of trying to take a culturally relevant uh, situation, a current event. We're focusing on what the Bible teaches concerning Israel, the church and the end times. And the first week, two weeks ago, we spent some time really leaning into the question about, are we in the last days? Because what happened, as soon as this war happened, I started getting texts and phone calls and emails. I don't check email, getting emails. And there was this question of like, is this it? Are we about to have Armageddon? Um, you know, Do I need to purchase more rifles? Do I need to store up, you know, cans of food? And I mean, in reality, there was this this undergirding fear in some people's minds, too, because it's like, hey, is this going to be like those 1970s Thief in the Night movies? And and so we spent some time looking at that, and we looked at Scripture, and we noted that there's numerous texts in the New Testament that indicate that at the resurrection, after the resurrection of Jesus, the apostles believed that we had entered into the last days, Numerous texts of scripture indicate that. So we've been in the end times, or the last days, for 2,000 years, okay? This, we are in that stage where we're, where we're going through it, and all the things that Jesus says are going to happen. He said in Matthew 24, you'll hear you'll see wars and rumors of wars. There will be famines, pestilence, there'll be earthquakes. Check, 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 right? And, and so we saw that. So week one, we, we saw that, but then we also noted the thing that the apostles do, though, is they constantly remind us that we don't have to live with fear or anxiety or worry. We can have confident hope. Why? Because we do know who is going to return and set up his kingdom on this earth. And so we can have hope. We don't have to be all worried. Okay. And then last week, what we spent some time doing is we started talking a little bit about Israel. And what I spent most of, of yesterday talking about is that there's these two common ideas that are, that are folk theology. They're real popular, but they are not based on a shred of biblical truth. This idea that there's two peoples of God and two plans of salvation. And we saw in Ephesians 2 and 3 that that Paul just absolutely destroys those arguments. He makes it clear that, that we had God working through the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Israel was called to be a light to the nations. And that God had this beautiful, mysterious plan to save people from outside of the Jewish people, Gentiles, okay, and bring them in. And then he says that those Gentiles who become followers of Jesus... We are members of the same body. We're fellow heirs of all the promises that were given to believe in Israel. And it's like really glorious, okay? So there's this really beautiful truth. So we spent some time doing that. And today, what I wanna do is I I said last week, I wanna answer three questions today. I want to answer three questions that I think are also important. The first question is this, is God done with Israel? There's some people asking, is God done with Israel then? Other people are asking, what is God's plan for Israel and the rest of the nations? And then, Thirdly, and this is the, the part where we need to be engaged with our theology, is how can we join God's work for Israel and the nations? Okay? Those are the three questions I want to try to get through today. You guys hijacked the sermon or the, seri- the, the service, so I get 25 extra minutes, okay? <clears throat> all right, yeah. I know you'll just leave if it goes that long, but all right, so let's talk about this. Is God done with Israel? And behind this question, though, um, behind this question is a is actually a popular theological viewpoint that's prevalent in a lot of different churches, and it's this viewpoint called replacement theology. And I I'm, I'm just want to be really clear here: um, for if you're new, we don't normally do like super uh, end timesy messages here, uh, but but I do want to just teach a little bit from Scripture today because I think these are important um, things for us to talk about. And you see this stuff on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and And you know, probably Snap, Chitty Chat, TikTok, or whatever it is you're on. Okay, Uh, but behind this question, I don't have TikTok. Okay, behind this question uh, is is this popular viewpoint called replacement theology, and there are a lot of people that hold this view. And it's this idea, simply put, that the church has replaced Israel. Okay, and there's this. There's a lot of different denominations and theologians that have taught this viewpoint. I want to point out two things about that, though. First of all, this is the theological viewpoint that undergirded the Nazi party. Okay? It is the viewpoint that undergirded the Nazis' theology. And Many of us may not realize, but when, when Nazi Germany became a thing, it was absolutely grounded in theology. It was a political movement that was actually formed with theological viewpoints that kind of bolstered it. And that's how the majority of German people could go along with the absolutely evil and atrocious things that happened at that time. So can we all agree that theology matters? Okay. Uh, That's the worst amen I've ever heard in my life. Theology matters. Thank you. Oh, I can keep my job. Okay. So it really does matter. All right, viewpoints about God and viewpoints about Bible and the viewpoints about other people really do matter. So that theological perspective, it it dehumanized people though, because what it did is it said, Israel doesn't matter anymore. The church has replaced Israel. All we need to worry about is the church. And and what it did is it dehumanized Jewish people. And uh, one thing I wanna mention is that we need to be really careful not to do that about any other people groups. Right? Anytime we start dehumanizing people, that, that enables us to, to overlook them or to uh, not care about them, and that's really, really bad. Uh, this perspective of replacement theology also, it wrongly overlooks, I think, the Jewish nature of the early church. Every first Christian in the first you know, 12 years of the church's birth was Jewish. Did you guys all know that Jesus was Jewish? Did you know that all the disciples were Jewish, right? I mean, it took over a decade for the Jewish believers to like figure out that Jesus had bigger plans, all right? And so so this theology is, I think, a problem. This replacement theology is, is definitely problematic because it leads into some bad areas. So the clearest answer to the question that we're asking, which is, is God done with Israel, is found in Romans 9, 10, and 11. And what I want to do is I want to read 15 verses from Romans chapter 11 just to help us think about this, and then we're going to kind of build on that. Okay, so Paul writes these words in Romans chapter 11. He says, I ask then, has God rejected his own people, the nation of Israel? Can we all read that together? Of course not. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. No, God has not rejected his own people whom he chose from the very beginning. Do you realize what the scriptures say about this? Elijah the prophet complained to God about the people of Israel and said, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. And do you remember God's reply? He said, no, I have 7,000 others who have never bowed down to Baal. It is the same today. For a few of the people of Israel have remained faithful because of God's grace, his undeserved kindness in choosing them. And since it is through God's witness, then it is not by their good works. For in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is free and undeserved. So this is the situation. Most of the people of Israel have not found the favor of God they are looking for so earnestly. A few have, the ones God has chosen, but the hearts of the rest were hardened. As the scriptures say, God has put them into a deep sleep. To this day, he has shut their eyes so they do not see and closed their ears so they do not hear. Likewise, David said, and this is quoting from the Psalms, let their bountiful table become a snare, a trap that makes them think it all is well. Let their blessings cause them to stumble. And let them get what they deserve. Let their eyes go blind so they cannot see and let their backs be bent forever. Did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. They were disobedient, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles. But he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. Now, if the Gentiles were enriched because the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation... Think how much greater a blessing the world will share when they finally accept it. I am saying all this, especially for you Gentiles. God has appointed me as the apostle to the Gentiles. I stress this for I want somehow to make the people of Israel jealous of what you Gentiles have. So I might save some of them. For since their rejection meant that God offered salvation to the rest of the world, their acceptance will be even more wonderful. It will be life those who were dead. And this is the word of the Lord. So here Paul indicates two things, okay? There's two things that Paul, I think, indicates that are very clear. And the first one is this. Paul says that the very existence of the remnant of faithful Jewish people who follow Jesus demonstrates that God still loves Israel, okay? Meaning, in, in that context, Paul is saying the fact that Paul, as a Jewish person, and all the other apostles and all the other Jewish disciples have made a decision to follow Jesus, that right there is evidence that God has not given up on Israel, okay? That's the first thing we clearly see in the first 10 verses there. And the second thing is this, Paul says that in the future, there will be a massive response to the gospel by the main body of Israel, and that's in verses 12 through 15. Okay? There will be a revival amongst Israel where the people of Israel, the bulk of Israel, will recognize that Jesus is, in fact, the Jewish Messiah. And it's, that's a beautiful truth for us to lean into. Now, I think it's helpful, though, to understand a couple things about the current nation of Israel. And this is where it gets complex, okay? and this is maybe the controversial thing. But ancient Israel was, is not the same thing as modern Israel. And here's what I mean by that. Ancient Israel was a theocratic monarchy, right? The Jewish people were led by God through a king. And so they had a covenant with God and they followed that. Modern Israel does not function as a theocratic monarchy. In fact, a lot of people are unaware, but the majority of Jewish people living in Israel are actually atheists. They're not practicing Jewish people. They don't believe that that, that Yahweh is, is the one true God. They believe that there is no God. And so that is why they need to be reached with the gospel of Jesus. They need to hear the story about Jesus. So here's here's the thing. God is not done with Israel. God is not done with Israel in the same way that he's not done with any nation or people group. And he's always at work wanting people to come to know Jesus, amen? And that's an important thing for us to lean into. So I think we need to think about this question is, what is God's plan for Israel and the nations? And I've already kind of hinted at this. God's plan for Israel and for the nations is that he wants to offer salvation to everyone. Everyone. So that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And we see this in Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 27. Again, Paul writes, I want you to understand this mystery. Dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts. But this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. And so all Israel will be saved. As the scriptures say, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem, it's Jesus, and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them, and I will take away their sins. And I just want to pause for one moment. Romans is a super complex and and challenging book at times because when you're reading it, there's, there's so much at work and Paul is constantly quoting from the Old Testament to solidify the arguments he's making concerning who Israel is and what it means to be a child of Abraham. But the thing that he keeps making clear is that, is that if we have faith in Jesus, we're graft, We're grafted in, we're part of the, the people of God. We get to become and inherit all the promises that God gave to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Isn't that beautiful? I was in, I was in a small group meeting, our, our small group was meeting a couple weeks ago, and, and we were looking at Ephesians chapter one, and, and this is mind-blowing to me. But Paul writes these words in Ephesians 1. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I can get down with that. But then he says this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been given to you if you're a follower of Jesus. Right? I mean, isn't that like, I don't know, pretty cool? It's amazing. I think you're asleep this morning. It is mind-blowing. It is so good. All the blessings in heaven have been given to us. And that's kind of the point that Paul is, is constantly trying to like, he's trying to pull out for his readers is to understand just how rich and beautiful our story is as followers of Jesus who are Gentiles, is we don't have the same lineage and traditions and legacy, but we get to have all the benefits because of our faith in Jesus. We get brought into the family, so to speak, okay? And so what is God's plan for Israel and the nations? His plan is to offer them salvation and to give them the hope of Jesus. In other words, God's plan is to reach as many as he can, and God has not turned his back on Israel, and God has not turned his back on Gentiles. So one key question during these times of wars and rumors of wars that takes place is this, and this is the question that many people are asking right now. They're saying, how does Israel, the land of Israel right now, fit into the future end times? How does it fit? We need a map. When I was in, in my undergrad studying theology, I had this Old Testament survey class, and this book was written in the 50s, okay? Super old. So old. So old. I'm, as a young man, so old. But I remember reading it, and as I was reading it, it kept talking about all the nations in the end times, and it would name them, and I remember it kept repeating the Soviet Union being one of these nations. And this is like in 2001 or 2002. And I'm like, how, are the, how is the Soviet Union going to be in the end times because it doesn't exist anymore? And, and I remember seeing these maps. Any of y'all seen the maps in your Bibles that have the whole end times laid out and there's charts everywhere and you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Anybody ever seen those? Okay. Most of them are not very good. They, get, they change all the time and people have to update the. We could spend all of our time. We could Next week, we could start a new sermon series called Map in the End Times and we could put charts up here. I think that is a waste of time. Honestly, I think what we need to do is focus on the things that Jesus said we should be focusing on until he comes back. That's what we should be doing. Not putting together maps and charts. That's my opinion. So how can we join God's work? That's what I want to end with. Jesus makes it absolutely clear. He gives us a very important guiding statement for us in relation to the future. I already said a couple of weeks ago, if you want to know what Jesus teaches about the end times, it's explicitly clear in Matthew 24 and 25. You do not need to be a rocket scientist to figure out. You don't need to read Greek. You don't need to understand Hebrew. You can go and read Matthew 24, and Jesus just lays it out. I love that about Jesus. It's so good, but this is what he says in Matthew 24, 14, he says this, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come, and then the end will come. So folks, we have a job to do. We have a job to do. If, I mean, I I will tell you this, every time there's, there's really bad stuff that goes on, in my heart of hearts, I just want Jesus to return. Like whenever anything happens, I mean, bad to kids, I'm like, gosh, we just need Jesus to return. When there are, are terrible atrocities that happen, we need Jesus to return. Why? Because when Jesus returns, he promises to set up his kingdom on this earth. He, it says in Isaiah that the knowledge of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Okay? So when Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom, every terrible bad thing that goes on in this world will be ended. It'll be destroyed and only righteousness and justice will exist and everything will be covered in love. I think that sounds pretty good, in my opinion. And so I'm excited about that. And so our commitment as a church and our faithfulness to spreading the good news about Jesus has a direct correlation to the timing of Jesus' return. You want Jesus to return? You gotta get busy. You gotta stay busy with the works of king of the kingdom. In other words, Jesus doesn't return to set up his kingdom on this earth until all the people groups of this world have had a chance to hear the gospel. So some of you might be wondering, well, like, when's that going to be? There's this really cool organization called the Joshua Project. And what they do is they've been mapping, reaching people groups all over the world. And this is their data. Look how many people groups exist. There's over 17,000 unique people groups. Languages, cultures, things like that, okay? And look how many unreached people groups there are. There's over 7,000 unreached people groups, people who have languages and cultures that have not yet been, been reached with the gospel. Would you agree that that's a lot of people? Right? There's a lot of people out there that have not yet heard about Jesus. So here's the deal maybe some of you in this room are called to sell everything, to pack up your bags and to move to some island to reach people with Jesus. Maybe that's possibly true. And if you are, that's awesome. We would love to pray for you. We would love to do what we can to encourage you and to resource you and to send you. But what about some of us in this room being called to reach our coworkers? Why don't we start with our coworkers or our neighbors or our family members or the people that we come in contact with in our regular life, right? Let's stand up together.